You're listening to Team Talk, a podcast by the Evangelical Movement of Wales to support church leaders. Welcome to another podcast from the Evangelical Movement of Wales Team Talk. We're delighted that you've been able to join us and we hope you're enjoying these podcasts and that today's will be of a particular help to you. Now, wonderfully, I'm not here on my own. I have the privilege of being joined today by my very good friend. And I guess we could always say our good friend because this particular gentleman is a great friend to many people in the cause of Christ. Uh, not least of which in Wales. So a very warm welcome to Stuart Olliott today. Hello, Phil. Thank you very much for the invitation. Well, it's so glad you've been able to join us and bring us up to speed, Stuart, about what you're doing these days. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm now a widower, as you know, and uh, Doll died four years ago. I I live in Liverpool because my family insisted I got, I got nearer to them again. Uh, I'm a member of Belvedere Road Church, and I'm spending my time, most of my time each day, giving advice, mostly online, literally all over the world. Uh, I'm writing articles. I'm preaching a lot, mostly in North Wales. I'm still lecturing, um, mostly by Zoom. Um, my life, frankly, is quite busy. So not, not a lot has changed, really. <laughs> no, not, not a great deal, no. Yeah. And, and living in Liverpool, does that count as missionary work? No, because this is the only place in outside Wales which has ever had the Welsh nationalised Stethwedd. That's correct. And in the uh, 1800s, of course, about 100,000 people moved from North Wales to Liverpool. So there's plenty of Welsh influence here. And greatly touched in the 1904-1905 revival towards the end, at least. It was touched. It was even more touched by the ministry of Henry Rees in the 1800s, right. who founded, I think, about 20 Welsh-speaking chapels. There were about 40 at that time in the, in the city. There are only two today. So the Welsh connections continue. That's great. They do, yes, yes. Well, I'm really delighted you've joined us today because I was thinking of somebody who we could invite to talk to the subject of overcoming difficulties in prayer. And I personally well remember mm -hmm. going to talk to you about this as I was struggling in my own life a few years ago. And we had a really helpful, heartwarming conversation, which I still remember your advice in several areas to this day. So thank you for being willing to talk to us and talk with me on the subject of overcoming difficulties in prayer. So I think it's probably fair to say, Stuart, this mm -hmm. is quite a common problem amongst Christians. It's, it's not only a problem amongst Christians, it's a problem amongst uh, Christ, Christian workers. And it's something which people frequently raise with me, and pastors in particular. And what effect could a church leader silently struggling with problems of prayer, what effect does that have on their, on their conscience, on their general spiritual well-being? Well, I think we all, we, all of us unconsciously give out vibes and we're expected to be examples to the flock. If there's prayerlessness in our heart, um, it's very hard to encourage it in other people's hearts. We shouldn't be speaking about a God that we hardly know, and we should, certainly shouldn't be preaching his word if we're, we're not actually having regular engagements, personal living engagement with him. So it can have massive, uh, massive effects. The reason for our creation is communion with God. Yeah. So things like shame 
silent, you know, quite deep shame over it. I think that that can quite often be a real problem, isn't it? It's something which pastors are very reluctant to open up to, and, and when they do, they get a great sense of relief. Mm. And I'm sure you've been a great help to many over the years and will be in this podcast. So if someone comes to you, Stuart, and they've taken that courageous step of saying, I need to talk to you about something quite fundamental that's wrong with me. Uh, My prayer life has gone south. I'm having huge problems. Where do you personally start in responding to someone who confesses having difficulties and struggles in prayer? Uh, I would start by asking them what the population of the world is. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And they would say, if they knew, they would say, well, 8 billion people, 8,000 million people. And I would say to them, well, that many people in the world and the vast, vast majority of them aren't at all worried about difficulties in prayer. So what makes you different from them? Mm. And I would like to bring them to the point where they recognize that simply their concern about their prayer life is actually a sign that God is at work in their souls. And I, I hope that would encourage them because, because worldly people are not worried about difficulties in prayer. It's the last thing that's in their mind. So you begin with a measure of reassurance? Yes, I would, yes. And I think I, think I would probably tell them that this isn't a, a, an uncommon problem and that many people have spoken to me about this through the years. But I would want them to reflect on the fact that this concern is probably heaven-born in their soul. And I would ask them next whether they do pray at all. And then if they said yes, which I would expect them to say, I would ask them, well, why, sh- why should a holy God pay any attention to you with, with all your failures and your, your sins and your falls? And... If they said to me, well, it's because I'm so needy or something like that, um, I would think probably I'm dealing with a non-Christian. But if they said, why should, a, why should a holy God pay any attention to me? Well, because of Christ and because of the cross and because of his grace to sinners, uh, I, I would be reassured and I would know that I'm, I'm talking to a real Christian. Mm-hmm. I, I need to know who I'm talking to if I'm, I'm giving counsel. Am I, am I talking to a regenerate person or someone who is just spiritually troubled? That's very helpful. So I guess, mm-hmm. is it common that when people confess difficulties in prayer, that one of the great areas they might speak of is just feeling cold in their heart, that everything is mechanical? Yes, they feel, they feel they're just going through the motions or just saying the words. Mm-hmm. Or, or just fulfilling coldly, as you put it, some, some duty. Mm. Yeah. I would ask them at that point w- what their definition of prayer is. And you'd be, you'd be surprised at what answers people come up with that, come up there. And I, I would tell them in my own thinking, prayer is simply telling the Lord everything that is on my heart at the moment. I, I'd like to repeat that because I, I think your definition of prayer will to some extent decide your prayer life. So prayer is telling the Lord everything that's on my heart at the moment. And when I read the Psalms, I see that the psalmists go through every possible emotion and experience, and they talk to the Lord about it. And when I come to the New Testament, I find exactly the same phenomenon. Something's on the heart, and they just tell the Lord about it. 
And that, that's what would be my starting point with coldness of heart. Get your definition of prayer sorted out. Realize what it is. It's just talking to the Lord about everything which is in your soul at the moment. Sometimes people say about prayer that we should be possibly following some sort of structure. So sometimes, as you know, they hold out the Lord's Prayer yes. as a sort of model, which, which of course it is. Um, how does that work with just, as you say, are encouraging us to really speak to God what's on our heart in the moment? Well, the whole word of God is of use, says the Shorter Catechism, to direct us in prayer. But the special rule of direction is that form of prayer which Christ taught his disciples. But I think that the whole purpose of the Lord's Prayer is to tell us what sort of things should be on our heart. But prayer in its essence is telling the Lord everything is on my heart. But it's prayerlessness, therefore, is I also believe a sin to be confessed. I, I was made for God. I was made to glorify him. I was, I was made mm. to enjoy him. And if, if I'm not doing that, I'm, I'm missing the whole point of my creation. Uh, my Savior bled on the cross to bring me back to God and to bring me back into a, a living relationship, a joyful, um, reverent relationship. And I, I'd want to assure them that they, they, need, they need to just go and talk to the Lord about their, their sin of prayerlessness and the difficulties they're having in the assurance that there's full forgiveness for them at the, at the cross of Calvary. On the issue of repentance, um, confessing prayerlessness to God, how would you encourage someone not to get into a kind of almost a loop where they're just rehearsing their failures and their sense of hopelessness? Well, I, I, th I think they need un to understand that something of the, the, the excitement of the adventure of the Christian life, which I would like to, to, to convey to them as well. I think we can get them out of that, that circle quite quickly. I mean, there's a little boy in a tabernacle, and there's a man who is, who's a bit blind, but I don't know whether he was deaf. And th there's a voice which is speaking, and the man doesn't hear it, but the boy does. And I, I believe that there's a voice which speaks, and... It uses words, but it doesn't make any sounds. And to me, that's a, a crucial part of my understanding of the Christian life. I think that's what Elijah uh, met on the, on the mountain. As I understand the Hebrew, I probably translate it, the voice of a gentle silence. I, I believe there's a speaking voice where spirit meets spirit, soul speaks to soul, God speaks to the heart. And we can have that as our daily experience as we meditate the word, as we seek God's face, as we wait upon him. We, we can become his friends. We can, hear, we can hear the speaking voice. And I'd like to encourage them to that adventure that to every day they need to, to give themselves to hearing the speaking voice. So a kind of unarticulated speaking. Yes, yeah. But, um, but which is very real. It is. In fact, that's the way we came into the Christian life. You know, the, the night of my conversion, mm -hmm. I, I heard the preacher preach. But there was something going on. And in my boyish heart at the time, I would have said that behind the voice of the preacher, I heard another voice. And there was there was somebody speaking to me with an, with an immediacy, which the words coming from the pulpit were, were not speaking with. The voice was coming to me because of what was being said from the pulpit. But the voice in the pulpit and the voice I heard in my soul were not actually the same voice. 
this was as a, this was the voice of God dealing with me, making me ashamed of my sin and pointing me to Christ. So pursuing this uh, unarticulated voice, the touch of God upon our souls in right. prayer and communion with him, should that in some ways be the real aim of prayer? Yeah, I believe that. I believe that is that is the the daily adventure of the Christian life, and I I would be very dissatisfied with any any day where I didn't have that sort of encounter with, with the Lord. I noticed you've used the word adventure a few times. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, I think there is a romance and adventure in the Christian life. I, I, I would I would have to say that I believe that communion with God is is the joy of my life, and I believe that's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. And I suppose within the principle of using the word adventure, there's the prospect of the unexpected. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. yeah. So do you think sometimes our approach to prayer can really be lacking in ambition? Yes, I do. Yes, yes. I think uh, Avion Evans in his book on Daniel Rowland says that uh, anybody who's not having living personal dealings with God a daily living personal powerful dealings with god their religion is a sham and uh, it seems to me that biblical christianity is actually real communion with god it's spirit to spirit it's soul to soul it's heart to heart it's it's a communion of of beings which cannot be ultimately defined very easily we had the privilege of Avion and Myra worshipping with us for 11 years in Llanelli. Yes, and, yes, uh, yes. Having, people. <laughs> absolutely, and Myra's, of course, still alive. Uh, but Avion's praying in the church prayer meeting was always, for me, the real highlight. It was very special. Well, he, under, he understood this whole question of having dealings with God very well indeed, and he was very influenced, I think, by Daniel Rowland. Now, yeah. the only thing coming back to that statement of his, he spit you in the quote that you gave, you said that if, if we're not having that, our prayer is a sham. Well, he and, said that that was Daniel Rowland's conviction. He was trying to summarize Daniel Rowland's convictions at that point in his book. Yes. OK, yeah. well, I wouldn't argue with Daniel Rowland. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think you would either. But my, my slight hesitation with that sort of language is that it can be quite destructive to somebody who's struggling in prayer. How do we, how do we encourage, I, I'd like to perhaps, you know, open this up a little bit more about encouraging the real strugglers. You've talked about holding before them the prospect of really encountering God, which is yeah. wonderful. But are there other things that we can do? Yeah, there's a whole host of things, that, little things that we can do, which will, will set our soul alight. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to remember that even, even wrestling with the whole problem of difficulty in prayer is actually part of God's dealings with us. Mm. And perhaps we need to point that out to people sometimes. That this, what's happening in your soul is not happening to worldly people. Mm. God is already doing something in you. You're already experiencing some dealings with God. But there's so much more to the Christian life than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there are a thousand little disciplines that we can use which will which which will put us in the position, if I can use that expression, where God might deal with us. I mean, when I wake up in the morning, the very first thing I do is recite the Apostles' Creed. I recite it slowly and deliberately. And by the time I've got that he ascended into heaven, I, I find that my soul is already getting passionate about the fact that there's a, a resurrected living Christ who is who is reigning today and and he's coming to judge the living and the dead. 
I can't I can't pray properly till I've had breakfast. We'll come to that point perhaps later. But, be, but before I have breakfast, I I open a book of prayers which has been published by the Reformed Church of France because I do most of my praying in French. But we won't go into that. And uh, I I read a prayer for the day from one of the old Reformed books, um, somebody else's prayer, because I I find that I find that that's that sets my soul in motion. I always begin my quiet time by singing a psalm. I used to do it from a psalter, but I don't do it anymore. I just pick up the New King James Version, which I use, and just make up my tune as I go along and, and sing a psalm. And I, I find these things are things which get me going. There's a thousand little things that we can do like that. Yes. Oh, I've got you, some more if you want them. Perhaps while you're thinking of another one, this, this reminds <laughs> me of, um, I read something once about George Muller's approach to his quiet time or his time of devotion he said i have one ambition and that is to get my soul happy in the lord yes and i think that's i've always found that very helpful because sometimes we yep. can have we can be so intercession orientated in our praying which is really important absolutely uh, mandated in scripture but if our praying is just intercession we we're losing something aren't we yes it, if I keep using the expression when my my soul is alight. But when when I know I'm actually engaging with the Lord and He's engaging with me, then intercession actually becomes easy. Mm-hmm. He brings all sorts of things into the mind. But not only that, He actually amplifies the, the things which I'm already prepared to pray about, and and believing that He will He will act in response to my intercession also becomes easier. But the first mm-hmm. thing. Is somehow to engage with God. And that's why we, we, we've got to know ourselves and find what disciplines work for us. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a strong believer in using devotionals. Some people don't like them very much. I, I do do systematic reading of the Bible. But I always, I read a devotional in the morning. It's an old one from the last century, from the century before last, actually, by J.R. Miller. It's called Come Year Part. It, it just takes me through the Gospels once once a year and brings a few devotional thoughts to me. And before I switch out my light at, at night, I, I read from Checkbook of the Bank of Faith from, from, from Spurgeon. Because um, I, I find these little brief messages which are specifically directed to the heart are, are very helpful to me in my, my total prayer life. I don't want us to get off subject, but do you think, uh, Stuart, we don't think enough today about the heart in terms of understanding ourselves as Christians. I, I'm quite sure about that. I, I think that most people in their Christian life, they think that the Christian life is believing the right things and behaving in the right way. And and that is the Christian life. And and I don't believe that's adequate. I believe that the Christian life is, is doctrine, believing the right things. It's ethics and behaving in the right way. And it's experience. It's actually knowing God and engaging with God and having dealings with God to, through Christ on a, on a daily and, if possible, hourly basis. And I think there's a lack of expectancy in the souls of many Christians. So anything else you would like to suggest in terms of uh, stimulating a struggling individual out of prayerlessness? Yeah, well, well, in most of my Christian life, I've had a little little book a little book which I've written by me um, in 
which is divided into five sections, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I, I try and discipline myself in intercession to pray for certain things every day. And I find having something specific to pray about every day also helps me and engages me in my prayer life. So on Monday, I would pray for, uh, every day I would, out, out of those five days. I would pray for church members and church attendees who aren't members. That would be on one page. Church events for that day, that would be on the next page. Family members, that would be on the next page. Christian work in which I'm interested in, in the wider Church of Christ, that's another page. And then, and then personal needs. And I would do that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And someone's going to say, why not Saturday and Sunday? Well, often you miss a day or you can't fulfill a day completely. So I've always got Saturday to catch up. <laughs> and Sunday is so busy that I, I, I can't actually do that. But, but I, I find that keeps me channeled. There's certain things which I pray about and expect answers to. And they're, re they're recorded in my book, in my little notebook. Now, I, I really like there, Stuart, the fact that you, you actually leave a day to sort of catch up in case I missed out. Yeah, well, I didn't used to do that, but I found myself getting caught out so often that I reduced my six days to five. So there's a healthy flexibility about the structure you impose on yourself, because sometimes these things can backfire with some people, can't they, if they're too rigid? Yeah, and, if, if, and my view would be that if you, if you miss out badly, and I don't even try to catch up. God, God is a God of grace, and just, just, just mm -hmm. if if you didn't manage Monday or Tuesday, well, manage Wednesday. Don't try and catch up on Monday and Tuesday. There'll be a Monday and Tuesday next week. Well, I'm finding this absolutely fascinating, Stuart. Not least of which the generous window you're providing us into your devotional life, which I think it's going to be a great help to a lot of people. And today we've been able to look at quite a few areas in terms of at least beginning to grapple with overcoming difficulties in prayer and i'm sure these will be a great help to many people mm -hmm. and if you join us at the next podcast with stuart we're going to drill down a little more deeply and we're going to look at some specific challenges in prayer that can come to the mature believer at any time so thank you very much for joining us today I'm Phil Swan. I've been joined by Stuart Elliott. We've been looking at overcoming difficulties in prayer, and we trust you'll join us for part two of this podcast in a couple of weeks' time. God bless you. <laughs>